0: And I am totally sane. In fact, you should—you don't need to worry about me at all.
1: And welcome to Tech Moonshine. Coming to you straight from a cabin in the Virginia woods, Tech Moonshine is the best place to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are both experienced technology professionals and, just like quality moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins. And welcome to Tech Moonshine,
2: where you will get 200 proof honest truth from a cabin in the Virginia woods. And Sean this week, we are going to talk about data science. And do you want to know the best part about talking about data science this week, Sean? The best part about talking about data science this week is that we are going to do it with another guy named Mike. What is the I, I want to verify.
1: Do we have proof, in fact, that this is not just a split personality problem that you have? I...
2: I am looking at him in Google Hangouts, and he looks nothing like me.
1: I still don't hear proof, definitive proof. If you were, in fact, a psychotic, that's exactly what a psychotic would say. So say something that a psychotic person would not say. Let me introduce
2: to our, our, our audience, Mike Kim. Mike, please tell me about yourself and the fact that you are not a split personality related to me.
0: My name is actually Mike Rollins. This is my alter ego. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Mike, this is not. This is not helping me prove to Sean that you. And I am totally sane.
0: In fact, <laughs> you should. You don't need to worry about me at all. Me, the I, cabin. We are totally fine.
1: I'm just gonna take the shotgun over here, guys. It's like it's cool. You guys can talk to yourselves all you want over there, but I'm just gonna
0: get the guns near me.
1: Next week, we're
2: gonna have Mike the Cat come talk about feline sanctity.
0: Uh, Well, I'm glad to be on Tech Moonshine, I guess. Uh, I'm glad that the shotguns are away from us, or me, if I'm Mike Rollins, or Mike Kim. Uh, And I guess I'm here to talk about data science this week.
2: Data science. So Mike, give us, you know, let's, let's start out at the very, very basic, right? What is data science? And how long has data science as a field been around?
0: So data science, if you listen to the Harvard Business Review or all of these people who are LinkedIn or all of these tech news articles, you would think that data science is a, is incredible new field that's been invented in the last five years. But in reality, if you you know check a Wikipedia page, it's been around for quite a long time. Um, it's had different names and whatever else, but the, um, the idea of Taking knowledge and extracting, taking data and extracting knowledge from it, you know, goes back to let's see here, 1960, 1974. Uh, but it is fairly recently that we've had the computing power as well as the storage resources to do much more interesting things with it. Um, I personally hate the time, term data science, and I think Sean also shares my my distaste for this term. And I think any practitioner of the field has a pretty pretty terrible taste in their mouth whenever they say it and they're forced to say it.
1: Is it because of the white lab coat you have to wear when you do data science, or is it some other reason?
0: I think it's because you have to smear yourself with big data when you're doing it. <laughs>
1: and That's, that's impossible so... to
0: get out of your hair
1: after you're done. I totally understand. It, uh, it, it is so, really terrible. So, that so but, what, you, you... but what is... I don't know, but Mike... I'm going to interrupt Mike to talk about Mike, but Mike avoided the question about what, what actually is data science other than, you yes. know, two words that have nothing to do with each other.
0: Data science loosely is the Art and science and techniques of taking uh, somewhere between structured and unstructured and semi-structured data and producing insight from it, uh, where insight is is a cover-all term for uh, answers to questions or ability capabilities that you didn't have before that you are now unable to have because you have the data to do these uh, to create these methods or these technologies.
1: So, what would an example? What would be an example of said science? Sure.
0: Uh, I think there's a couple of different broad categories that I I see data science uh, used in startups today, for example, or companies today. Uh, I see it enabling core technology. So to give an example from my own career at Aardvark, we had something we called the Aardvark was a social question answering startup that was acquired by Google. Uh, and we had what I'd call our core technology, which was a routing engine, which took questions in natural language and routed them to other users. And so there's the data science and machine learning and figuring out and how to tune and build that piece of technology. But then there are also questions about uh, what kind of users tend to interact with our product best, and uh, what's the general turnover rate or what's, what's what who, who are the who are the uh, who are, the be- who are the constituents within our data and what kind of patterns do they have? And these are questions that we are now able to answer because we have the computing power and the data in- and the expertise to answer these sort of questions.
2: Now, I, I actually believe that I used data science back in my high school years. Um, now, back then I had this thing called a magic eight ball and I would ask questions of the magic eight ball and then I would kind of shake it up a little bit, and turn it over, and it would give me an answer. Is this? I mean, is this kind of what data science is?
0: What, sometimes you do have to resort to that. Uh, <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely a little bit of that. Actually, I, I like to. I, I think I'll just go ahead and state the um, the whatever. I I don't know who who to attribute to, so I'm just going to take credit for it. Um, when it comes to data science, a lot of times the quality of the answers you're going to generate. I would say is 80% determined by the quality of the data you have to work with. So if that's not very good, then you have your classic garbage in and garbage out. And yeah, you might as well be using a magic eight ball. Um, And then say your data is actually somewhat decent, you can actually get some signal out of it. Then the remaining chunk of the puzzle, 80% of that is really how well can you characterize your data. And again, if you, it doesn't matter how good your data is. If you can't characterize it well, again, you might as well be using a magic eight ball. Um, the way I like to talk about what's called the feature selection problem is: if I asked you to guess the gender of people in a room, and all I gave you was their eye color, you're really, you're really kind of screwed. There's no, there's no meaningful way you're going to be able to guess anything about whether someone is male or female by their eye color. On the other hand, if I gave you, say, hair length. Well, now, now you've got a decent decent shot at guessing, at least reasonably right, at least in this culture, uh, male versus female, right? Mm-hmm. And then if I started giving you more things like, oh, their index finger to ring finger ratio of lengths is such, and their hair length is such, and their chest to hip to waist ratio is such. Well, and now you've, you you can start narrowing in and getting a pretty good guess. And if I now tell you their name is a common woman's name and their, or, or not. Uh, all these features are better it help you better able to predict the 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 sex or gender of the person you're talking about. And of course, you know, going back to the if I tell you what color shirt they were wearing, eh, maybe useful, maybe not, right? Hmm, interesting. So there, it, it,
1: what is the difference then between that and just statistics or one of these other many things we we were all forced to study in school and we all hated.
0: Well, if you're a statistician, there is no difference. Uh, statisticians, are, <laughs> statisticians are really pretty upset about the emergence of data science because they're, they're looking at it, but that's just statistics. Uh, and everyone else is, no, no, also, no, this is data science now.
2: I would also like to point out that the uh, Magic 8-Ball lobby is pretty upset too.
0: I, I imagine. I imagine. I mean, they lost so much relevance now that it's called data dude, science. I'm,
2: seriously, dude,
0: terrible. Uh, the irony is I think there was a statistics department that lobbied to change their name to data uh, Data science, well before this cra- this the data science craze hit, and now they're kicking themselves because they're like, "Oh, we could have been, we could have been the first to call ourselves data scientists." Um, I do have a little bit of, I do have something to rant about this. Um, having tried to hire data scientists, and anyone who's tried to hire data scientists, you probably run into this exact problem, which is anybody who's ever worked with data or statistics at all decides to call themselves a data scientist, and you know will then market themselves to you as a data scientist. Um, This is a little bonkers. Uh, I've also worked as a software engineer, and this is the equivalent of saying, I've coded before, I'm a software engineer, right? Uh, No, no, you're not. Just like, yes, I've taken a course in statistics. I'm a data scientist now. No, no, you're not, right? You could have even majored in computer science, and I'm still not gonna qualify you as a software engineer. No, software engineering is a discipline, and it's something that you basically, unless you actually, in your undergraduate degree, practiced and developed and worked on real world systems, you're not a software engineer. You're a computer science new grad, and you're going to learn, hopefully, the principles of software engineering. And, you know, I, it's slightly worse, I suppose, because I have uh, PhDs fresh out of some sub-branch of some hard sciences they can't get jobs in who are now rebranding themselves as data scientists. And, no, I'm sorry, just because you used a little bit of statistics in your dissertation does not make you a data scientist. Uh, end of rant.
1: No, I would actually think <laughs> you were you were nice in that rant because in my in my experience... It would be the equivalent of saying i know how to use microsoft powerpoint and therefore i'm a i'm a software engineer <laughs> wow the level of experience that i i have seen across the board what what what's wrong with powerpoint dude you can code lots of stuff in there <laughs> well so let's go back to the data science part so mike when you when you wear the white lab coats to do the science part do you all buy them in the same place or are there lots of different outlets for buying these white lab coats
2: more importantly what is the algorithm that you use to select the white lab coat that turns you into data scientists?
0: I'm glad you asked, because this is actually uh, an important topic of how you, you, you know, as as Sean mentioned, to get the smell out. Right. That's really what you're after. And so every there's a little bit of personal preference that goes in. Do you want like something that is actually are medically sealed? Do you want because those are kind of, they're not breathable. So if you sweat a lot, it's kind of problematic. But if you get something that breathes too well then it's actually going to permit your own clothes. And now we have these things called data lakes, right? And so you have to ask do you want this thing to be <laughs> waterproof? Uh you know, you have to you have to wonder like and if, if you know and are you going to be waiting in the data lake or are you going to be diving into the data lake? These are all questions what you, you need kids? to ask. Wait, wait,
1: wait, hold on, hold on. Is the data lake like a seriously real thing? Like legitimately?
0: You can Google search it and apparently you get hits. And that makes it as real as anything else.
1: Wow! I did actually—I take it back. The other day, I heard somebody tell me about data exhaust, which I thought was was hilarious. So apparently, data exhaust is all the data that you create all every day that you don't use. You just discard it. You don't realize that it's valuable. So we're all puffing out there all day. We're just letting off this this data exhaust. And you know what they're going to find, Mike? They're going to find warming. pretty soon. Exactly. It's causing data warming. Data warming. <laughs> We are warming
2: <laughs> the data with the data exhaust. It's really bad. This in fact, is... we're going to have
1: to have the United Nations step in to, to limit the amount of data we create.
2: This is terrible, Sean. Terrible. Now, you know, this actually brings us to a good question is, where does all this data come from?
0: I don't think the... So without even asking where it comes from, I think there's a more alarming question, which is wherever it's coming from, it's coming from even more places now, Right. Uh, the the sh- I mean the shorthand answers is it's everywhere. It's coming from everywhere, uh, and that seems like a tin hat conspiracy theory, crazy person ranting. You know, like Mike Rollins and his alter ego Mike, data scientist. But it's not like shortly. You know, we're gonna have wearable devices. We'll have smart homes. We'll have mm-hmm. smart cars, and you know they're not all wired up yet. But when they are, and Skynet takes over, then we're all pretty screwed
1: although it can be for good i one of the i remember years ago back you know you can tell how old i am because when i was in school they used to call this data mining right back in the old data mines i got the black that's where i got the black lung by the way mike if you're curious why i'm always mm-hmm. hacking up data left yeah. and right yeah so one of the one of the and i actually don't even think it's a true story but the example they always used to give us to say why data mining was useful was that um years ago a supermarket was trying to figure out um basically how to optimize their sales and they basically did an analysis to see you know, if you bought certain items, what what items were typically bought together? And they found, through mining their data and doing what we now would call data science, that people who were buying diapers bought beer. There was a very high correlation between people who bought diapers and bought beer, which was surprising, but it turned out what was happening is all these husbands were on their way home from work and their wives told them to pick up diapers. And they're like, well, if I'm getting diapers, I'm picking up some beer for me at the same time. And so they moved the beer next to the diapers. So they basically imagine in the store the beers next to the diapers and managed to lift their sales of beer by 20%. And so it can be for good, Mike, because you can actually use data science to move beer. Is this the
2: reason that they put the toilet paper next to the beans?
1: Yes, that's right.
2: That is, dude, I have been pondering why that is, and the answer was data science. Is that data exhaust right there? No,
0: that's, <laughs> that's data put to good use. That's data put to good use.
2: So, uh, okay, so, I mean, all right, Mike, here we are. Your smartphone is generating data, your computer is generating data, your smartwatch is generating data, Um, your Nike fuel band is generating data, your car drives around and passes toll booths and generates data. Um, Does all this data go to live in one place? And what sense, I mean, how do you make sense out of data that's that disparate?
0: That's a great question. Uh, generally, no. And this is referred to as the data silos problem or the data scattered data problem. So we've got
2: data data lakes and data silos. Exactly. And we have data exactly. barns.
0: You, you know, that might be a good industry to get into. Data cottages. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, data barns. The and and so you have these data and you have these data that are scattered about. And the concept actually of a data lake is, well, why don't you pour all that data into, into one place as opposed to in all these different silos? And so the um, as far as how you make sense of all this disparate data, I think this is where the field is most interesting, at least to me and a lot of people who do practices. It's not so much the statistics that you bring to bear, so much as the creativity that you can bring to bear. Um, my favorite example of this from a time where I used to work at a very large company whose name rhymes with Poogle. Um, we found that you know users who would search for babies on YouTube are really not they don't have babies they they just interested in any cute mammals you know cute baby mammals they're just they love cute baby mammals whereas if you uh searched for babies on a search product this meant you had a baby and your baby won't stop crying your baby won't go to sleep your baby uh, has a rash and you could tell like these are two very different people and when you when you join these disparate sources it took a little bit of common sense and creativity to link these uh, very disparate sources to realize that you're dealing with two different populations of people, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and likewise, you know, based on you know th- watching how your behavior changes, I mean, Target got into a little bit of hot water about this. You know, you can determine all kinds of things, like, oh, you're going to be expecting a child soon, right? And so there's that uh, <laughs> there's that kerfuffle <laughs> where uh, that that family got you know the the un- right. the, the teenage daughter the of a family got marketed got all these the, yeah. yeah. And so, and then the dad rushes in the store, is really angry about it. And of course, you know, the manager apologizes profusely and calls back to apologize again, only to find out that, guess what? The big data science algorithms were right. You know, they they knew what was going on inside that house better than the dad did. Mm -hmm. And so there is definitely an art to how you creatively blend uh, the disparate sources of data to get at... uh, really interesting and novel insights.
1: So I have a question for both of you guys. If you had to guess, realizing that we you know, are in a cabin in the Virginia woods, drinking moonshine, so you shouldn't trust our opinion, how much data do you think the average person generates every day right now? Ooh, man. It, it has got to be at
2: least hundreds, at least tens of megs, quite possibly up to a gig a
0: day. I'm going to go with much, much, much less than that. You think? Oh, yeah. Uh, So Sean didn't specify the support set of his question. So I'm going to define the average person as the average person on this planet. And so your average person on this planet does not have internet access may or may not have an even oh, mobile device on. right? so we're talking about the I mean, average dude, person
2: we're drinking moonshine we're in a cabin in the Virginia woods and moonshine woods. gives me
0: nothing if if nothing it gives me perspective right and what <laughs> what a small, small that's, that's actually
1: get. incoming blindness that's not perspective you should probably go to a doctor oh, after oh is the episode. that what that is <laughs> yeah
0: Oh. Sorry, we
2: had to mix it with a little wood alcohol. Oh. Bad. Oh.
1: Oh. <laughs> the last batch didn't come out well. Actually, this is a good point, Mike. We should consider actually making our still intelligent. We'll use some data science to make it a smart still. And I have no idea what that means, smart but still. then we could charge twice as much for our moonshine.
0: There's actually a guy who has a smart still. He's invented something that lets him make 20-year-old tasting rum in something like six days.
1: Really? Is it a time machine?
0: No. I don't know why you guys don't have one of these here. I mean, come on. like this. Is, what, you, what are you guys waiting for?
2: What do you think we've got you here for? You're not leaving <laughs> until it's finished.
1: You're not leaving <laughs> until we can go six years into the past. <laughs> yes.
2: So, all right. So you think it's, you think it's less, let's, 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 let's scope down our problem a little bit. And I think a gig is obviously way too much, but if Mike, the data scientist, if you had to guess how much data exhaust does one person have in a given
0: day? So define the way that Sean did, which is like, how much data do you create and discard and just floats off into ether? Um, I, I... That's interesting. That is an interesting question. Fortunately, most people, even the average American consumer, doesn't actually have enough sensors on and around them uh, to I would to warrant even something, definitely not a gigabyte. So I'd say, yeah, tens of megs feels about right um, in terms of exhaust. Uh, but I think if we include the scope of maybe not purely exhaust because it is being captured, but isn't being put to use usefully. I think that could go into the gigabytes, right? For example, consider all the surveillance camera footage that, you know, not us because we're never leaving the cabin. But if you actually left the cabin and actually went somewhere with surveillance cameras, you know, your face or your your passage of your camera or you drive by a traffic stop, you know, all that's being recorded somewhere, right? Actually, we do and have cameras I called- here in the
1: cabin because we saw Kenton you know, in the woods out there looking around the cabin and he he gave us a hard time last time for not paying him for blowing up our still. So, we have actually some pretty cutting-edge security up here around the cabin, don't we, Mike?
2: I like the lasers.
1: The lasers. Uh, Well, dude, I don't mean the ones we use to, like, light our cigars. I mean, like, the actual security facility The lasers that we mounted to the cameras. No, no, no. We put the lasers on the sharks. Oh, we put the lasers on the sharks. You're right. It puts the lasers
0: on the sharks.
2: So it given given that it seems like we have a lot of data being generated so if you you know you've got however many people in the United States and each person in the United States pops off anywhere from 10 to a gigs worth of data every day um, it would seem like being able to make sense of that would give you an edge right
0: It might. And that's that's where the the whole promise of data science lies, right? Actually, I have a fun statistic that might be useful to add. Um, something about something on the order of every is it every minute or every hour? YouTube actually generates more video than can be watched in a human lifetime. It's like what? What? What is? How many new cat videos do you possibly need? That explains
1: why nobody watches my epic rants about the dandelions growing in the west fields here. Apparently, nobody has time to watch them. Ah. Yeah. So, Mike, going back to data science, which, of course, you know, was what we wanted to talk to you about today. So, is your average person like thinking the, in the U.S. going through their day? Um, and when I say average person, I mean somebody between the ages of 18 and 35 going about their day in a normal working environment. What what happens in their life and their experience, or day to day, that actually is affected by data science that they don't realize? What is happening around them where data science is affecting their life, but they don't even see it happening?
0: I think increasingly more and more, it's it's invading everything that we're doing. The uh, the personalizations that are around us, the filter bubbles that we create every time we interact with products that are these smart products. Um, the the fact that uh, you know we now have car insurance companies that can gather and personalize your own rates based on how much you drive and how you drive and you know it's we're rapidly approaching this point where uh, it, it, once we can connect all of these different data sources it's going to be almost unavoidable you, you won't be able to uh, step foot outside your cabin and not hit data science or have data science hit you and I think this is one of the things where, unlike a lot of other technologies, where you might be able to throw a fuss about it, in this sense, data science has kind of just permeated the fabric of everything around us, just like you know, we're talking about how you can't get that smell off. Well, it's been on us for so long and has crept up on us that we've stopped noticing that these smart algorithms, these filter bubbles, these uh, personalizations, are just now extensions of our experiences, especially digitally.
1: And in fact, it's actually good in that way because there's, there, you wouldn't want to have to spend the time sorting through through all those movies. It's actually good that Netflix recommends movies that you might like, because uh, honestly there's a lot of bad movies out there. I Actually, it might be fun to just start dropping some knowledge bombs on people. Uh, going back to data science, I don't think people realize when they go online and shop and they see products and they see prices, the price they see may not be the same price that everyone else sees. And that always blows people's mind. That it's not like going to a store and seeing a label there. Your price may be customized and personalized just for you.
0: When I was working at uh, Struggle, uh, we had this idea for technology of called walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And so you could actually pick your filter bubble. So if you wanted to say, I'd like to be a 40-year-old housewife from Virginia, you could cl- click into that and see what the internet would look like from her point of view. Or I'm a 20-something tech worker in, you know... Venice Beach. You could click into that person's uh, profile and walk walk them a digital mile in their shoes. Um, we never built it because we didn't know what the actual use case would be for someone wanting this. But there are actually real consequences of this filter bubble. Um, uh, some pundits, I'm not a pundit, but some some pundits would even claim that our current polarization in, in politics is being contributed to by the filter bubble. If you if now that we don't have you know we don't all have the same three channels. You know, if you're a moonshine drinking Virginia woods inhabiting, you know, moonshiner, uh, moonshiner, I'm uh, moonshiner.
2: Please don't call us rednecks.
0: And you're getting your news from Moonshine Weekly and wherever you're getting it, versus some urbanite hippie yuppie person who's getting it from a very different source. That only reinforces your worldview. This is gonna, this is, this is, this is definitely gonna be a contributing factor to polarization, right?
1: No, oh, that's interesting. So data. Is actually evil and is slowly trying to take over the world. Is what I took away from that. Interesting. That's good to know. The other thing, by the way, I I, I challenge everyone to do this because I think this is fun. If you go on the internet and you go to go to like go to like tesla.com to go look like, even if you don't have any intention of buying an electric car, just go there, and then go somewhere else. Go to like the New York Times or go to mm-hmm. CNN or wherever you get your news, and you're going to see. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see ads for Tesla. <laughs> And then you're going to go to Facebook and you're not going to go to Facebook and be like, I'm safe back in Facebook. And you know you're going to see there, you're going to see ads for Tesla. And then you're going to be like, oh my God, this is horrible. Well, how are they following me around? That's actually data science. They're, they figured out who you are and that you are now likely to to buy a, a Tesla. And they're going to, to track you on the internet and try to get you to go buy that Tesla, which I think is, is, is hysterical.
2: It, it, I, I have been tracked across the internet by this one company that builds uh, iPhone cases that hold credit cards. And I've come so close to pulling the trigger on this thing so many times, but every time I turn around, this ad is there. And it's like, I cannot get away from it. And, and another, another fun time, um, I went to, I, I see this problem particularly badly with Amazon. And I, you know, as happens in the Virginia woods, sometimes it it, it becomes time to replace your underwear. And so.
1: Wait, wait, I, whoa, whoa, you just blew my world. What does that mean? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Sean, it, I've I, Sean, we need to have a private conversation. You after. did the inside
0: out and front and back, right? Yeah, I,
2: I did. I did. Okay. But every five years, eventually you need to replace them. And. Um, the crusty yeasty things, they, they, they're they not good. And so uh, I went to Amazon with the full intention of buying, you know, just my typical Fruit of the Loom underwear. And Fruit of the Loom underwear stalked me across the internet for like a month. Um, so
1: And, be careful. and then, then a dude showed up at your front door saying, dude, I got your underwear. And dude, I got your crazy. underwear
2: now. <laughs> Um, yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful what you search for because it will stalk you across the internet because of data science, which is evil and is taking over the world and is also polarizing American politics. But um, Mike, I have... actually as a
1: as a quick as a, before you have this, as a pro tip to anybody out there, if you are looking for a job, I suggest not doing that from the browser from your work laptop because what will happen is ads for those jobs you looked at will pop up during your presentations and your demos for your boss. I'm just throwing it out there. It,
0: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. I do
0: want to actually put this spin on it. Uh, data, like a lot of things, isn't inherently evil, right? It's kind of, it's 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 something to be wielded with responsibility. And of course, it's currently not wielded very responsibly, but it can also be done for good, right? We have, uh, actually, there is a, a budding effort to put data to good use for our own government, right? To help us analyze uh, systematic problems with our infrastructure and help us to be safer and help us to be smarter and live longer and um I think there are lots of great uses for data as well. And I think it it does kind of escape us that it's hard to, it's hard to remember that there's great uses for data as well, because so often the most press, the most obvious use of data is that these underwear ads keep chasing us around the internet or, you know, these hedge funds cause flash crashes using their data algorithms and you know, there's also plenty of reasons and ways that data can be used for good as well. So actually,
1: that, that, that brings me to a final good question I have for you, Mike, which is, let's say you're a bright-eyed, you know, optimistic teenager who has decided that a, a career of moonshining is just not for you. It's too hard of a life, and you've decided to fall back on your back of data science. <laughs> what are the things that someone would go study or, or learn to become a data scientist?
0: That's a great question. I can answer for... I'd have to think about it for a little bit, but for someone who's doing it now, you know, there's the the triple threat of coding skills, quantitative skills, and then communication and people skills. Uh, there's the thought that by the time this hypothetical teenager is going to enter the workforce, maybe the quantitative skills or the uh, computing software skills aren't going to be as as important because we'll have invented tools that will have commodified the uh, current high skilled uh, tools that we have. And so I think the uh, advice I would give to someone who's trying to enter it is, yeah, obviously you may not be a triple threat today, but you have to work on all three. And to advice us to someone who is coming up in this, I think is, uh, let's focus on what elements of those three things are timeless. The communication element and the people skills element is timeless. It doesn't matter uh, if you're today, tomorrow, or hundred years in the future, a hundred years in the past, you're going to need those people skills. The ability to think about problems in a quantitative, rigorous way, even if you have tools doing it for you, is not going to go away. And maybe the coding languages will change, but the idea and the ability to break down uh, problems into uh, algorithmic recipes and understand how that's done—that is not going to go away, right? So uh, you may not follow the same—you uh, may not be following the same trajectory to become this triple threat, but I would say that. Uh, the uh, developing those three kind of more generic skills in whatever context that you're passionate about is probably the best way to go. So if you're super passionate about skateboarding, great. Go attach a, a gyro sensor to your skateboard and just start collecting data, right? And just just do whatever you want with it. Or maybe you're really passionate about moonshining, right? Great, let's instrument your still and just start measuring it and seeing what, seeing what you can learn from it. Because the best way um, to learn any skill, of course, is to practice it, get feedback on it, and work towards mastery. I think that's very Th- deep.
1: That sounds like a call to arms, there, Mike. We're gonna have to start instrumenting our still and Man. like making it data sciencey. Do you, you guys laugh, still but science.
0: I have a coworker who has a hydroponic tomato growing robot. He grows really nice tomatoes in his hydroponic robotic farm. But he literally has his soil temperature, uh, humidity level, temperature measures all feeding into an Arduino unit that's constantly measuring and tweaking. And, you know, he gets incredibly high yield from his tomato garden in the city. And this is the power of, you know, combining some off-the-shelf robotics with some sensors and some data science.
2: That's right, folks. You, too, can grow great tomatoes. And on that note, I think that we should move into the next part of the, mo- of the, the tech, which, uh, which is often facilitated by Great Tomatoes, as you may or may not know, uh, which is the Tech Topic Overload.
1: Tech Topic overload. overload.
2: And so in Tech Topic Overload, in case you have never listened to our podcast before.
1: What? Why would you do that? That's craziness. We
2: are up to episode 18. You should all have listened to at least one of them by now. Um, each of us, your hosts, will pick a topic that uh, will, uh, that we will, we will talk about briefly, 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 two minutes at the most, or else you will get buzzed in a very unpleasant fashion. Um, and uh, it is at our discretion. So uh, Mr. Kim, being the person who, uh, who is our guest host today, please, what is your tech topic overload topic?
0: My tech taco, talk- tech topic overload is... Tech tacos are very different.
2: Let's not well, mix the Oh, I love some two.
0: tech tacos, so... Can I talk about tech tacos instead? No. The... <laughs> I have to bring attention...
2: Samantha- are we going to put the hydroponic tomatoes on the tech tacos?
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Okay, very good.
0: Uh, I have to bring attention to this really poor Maine police department. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but... A, they recently fell victim to a malware data ransom heist, where uh, some unsuspecting member of the community downloaded this this piece of malware, and it suddenly took all of their data hostage. And the ransomers demanded 300 U.S. dollars in Bitcoin to be transferred to a untraceable Swiss account. And since they so desperately need their files, they ended up having to pony up 300 dollars of bitcoin and transfer it to meet their demands fortunately these uh ransomers are actually good on their word and sent them the key that unlocked their data and they're able to get on policing with their lives uh of course they went after them and were the fbi was able to trace them as far as the swiss bank account but then the trail goes cold
1: and i thought that only happened in the movies i didn't even know it was possible to have an untraceable swiss bank account this is intriguing
0: but can you imagine with the the poor police officer who's like wait what's a bitcoin like he's like where do I get one how do I find one and it's actually have you guys tried to pay a ransom with Bitcoin this is not a trivial thing no no
1: actually no I haven't why I didn't know what you talking about it's not like
0: you can go down to your ATM and just withdraw Bitcoin like it's and then it's it's actually it's actually quite complicated. So
2: are officers of the law able to understand bitcoins in general?
0: That's a great question. I'll generalize to: Does the average American consumer understand math at all?
2: And next week we will be talking about the blockchain, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so um I I will go with with my tech topic overload this week. Um this week I had the fortune or misfortune whichever you should so choose, uh to purchase a, an Apple Watch. Um because. I must be on the cutting edge of technology. I must experience misery. I mean, the great uh, products that that Apple has told me that I need. Um, And so I I did, in fact, purchase a Space Gray uh, Apple Watch Sport. And my prediction is that I will wear it for a few weeks. The novelty will wear off. And that I will then become so overwhelmed with notifications that I will take it off and I will put it in the same drawer that my Pebble inhabits and that my Asus or my Android Wear watch also inhabits. Um, But, you know, uh, until somebody figures out how to uh, overcome the notification overload problem, I don't think... Uh, wearables are really a thing. And that is my rant for this week. We can we can test this theory later, Sean. And uh, that leaves it to you, Mr. Burns.
1: Cool. First off, i just like to say that I'm looking forward to seeing how those watches reproduce in that drawer when Mike opens up in five years. What crazy things will have been breeded in this drawer he's creating. So my rant is about the following. So if you're not familiar with the selfie... The selfie is when you take a photo of yourself, which is actually not a radical concept. We've done that for years. But in the last few years, the rate of innovation around selfies has accelerated. Now we have Extendable adjustable selfie sticks which you can use to get your phone a certain distance away from you for the ideal selfie An application was released today from path called Kong which allows you to create and share selfies with your friends Because sending them photos wasn't good enough with snapchat No, you have to send them selfies of you just doing whatever you're doing It's gotten so bad that Coachella actually banned selfie sticks and selfie related accessories because they've gotten so out of hand they're actually impeding your experience because instead of looking at the stage when well, people are looking in the opposite direction of the artist on stage and using their selfie stick to take a photo of themselves with the artist. I say all of this to rant about the following the greatest minds of my generation are trying to help people take better photos of themselves. I mean, what happened to the greater good, man? There are people starving, there's global warming, and yet these engineers are spending their time trying to make us look better when we're never going to look good trying to hold a phone away from our face to take photos of ourselves. This madness around the selfie has to end. It's, it's good enough as it is. Let's get those brilliant minds back to work solving the world's problems.
2: And that, ladies and gentlemen, will carry us out on tech moonshine so mike if uh mike kim who is not an alter ego of mike rollins and is in fact a completely separate person um if anybody wants to get a hold of you where can they where can they find out about you do you have a twitter handle you know where where are you on the the general interwebs in in, at large
0: you can try to find me on twitter i am at mfk at and otherwise, uh, get off my lawn.
2: Get off my lawn. Get okay, off my lawn, that,
0: you you crazy kids. Is is that really
2: your web? Your, your... no, no, no. Oh, that's
0: damn it. I
2: was gonna be so excited. <laughs> All right. So MFK at very good. And um, with that, we will hear from this week's sponsor. And this week's sponsor is yet another IndieGoGo campaign. You know, we um, here at Tech Moonshine, we feel very poorly for the, uh, the poor officers who had th- their data ransom for 300 Bitcoin. So we are going to start an Indiegogo campaign in order to get them back their 300 Bitcoin. But because we are good people, we are going to create a stretch goal. If we can get to $1,000, we're going to buy selfie sticks for the entire force okay and so just remember it is not only for a good cause of repatriating the 300 bitcoin but then these officers can also go out in the field and take selfies of themselves with criminals this is epic and with that ladies and gentlemen you all have a spectacular morning afternoon or night whatever the time may be that you should choose to partake of the Tech Moonshine.
1: Thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account or find us on the web at techmoonshine.com. You can also chat with Mike and I directly. Mike's on Twitter as RollinsIO, and I'm on Twitter as S Burns. Special thanks to Jeff Holtzinger, our banjo picker, and his track "Bent Nails," which you heard at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Please join us next week for more 200 Proof Truth about Tech.